Well, this video, I looked it up. I didn't watch it yet, but it's 15 minutes long, so we better get started. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I lift up these prayer requests and these health concerns and these praises and these financial things that we've discussed. And um, they're already in your hands, but I just want to say that uh, we're grateful that you're in control of all these things. And we're grateful for this life on earth that we get to live for a, for a period of time, even though it's not always easy. And sometimes it's not even fun. But if we know you, um, our life is our life. Our, our, the story is complete and we get to live with you forever as long as we know you and uh, the simplicity of that even though it's complicated at times is a, is a great 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 thing so we're grateful for you we're grateful that we know you and we're excited that we get to learn more about you tonight in this study as we study for uh, what are we studying second Timothy so we love you and we pray these things in your name amen, amen. all right let's see here the point of this session is that as God's people, we must be ready to share His Word by patiently teaching, correcting, and encouraging others even when they wander from the truth and to know that people will not always find God's truth pleasing, to feel compassion for those who have wandered from the truth, and to persist in teaching God's Word to others. And the passage, is, uh, the passage that we were studying today is 2 Timothy Chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. And I will read those. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke. Did I say that right? Rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So just as a reminder or a refresher, the letters of First and Second Timothy were written by Paul to Timothy who was leading the church at Ephesus. And now we will watch the video. Let me read these couple things before this. According to Joby... Oh, sorry. I'm supposed to read these after the video. Play the video, Josh. <coughs> session six of second timothy we're going to study just four verses chapter four verses one through four and what we're really centering on is gospel centrality and as paul makes his final turn in this letter he's going to hammer timothy with a couple of more exhortations that are applicable to all of us as believers and that word exhortation it actually means to spur on and i don't know if you've seen a spur but this isn't like a gentle hug this is a charge and so Paul tells Timothy, I charge you, Pastor Timothy, lead pastor in Ephesus. 
I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. In other words, Timothy, don't forget who you work for. That Jesus is the chief shepherd, the senior pastor of your church there. So in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. And Timothy, remember what hangs in the balance when you go to work at your church. Literally, the eternities of men and women hang in the balance. This is a really, really big deal. And we see what a big deal this charge is going to be by the preamble that Paul gives. And then he says this, verse 2. Preach the word. Preach the word. Because it is God-breathed. Because the message is all about one thing. And it's not about you. The entire message of the scriptures is about Jesus. Now listen, God is for you. It's just not all about you. I mean, anybody that dies for you is for you. But the message of the Bible from the beginning to the end is not all about you. It's all about the glory of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. That is the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is the gospel. Not about man's effort to declare himself righteous, but about what Jesus has done. A righteousness has come apart from our effort. See, that is the fundamental difference between religion and the gospel. Religion tells us what to do. The gospel tells us what Jesus has already done. Religion tells us how to be good. The gospel tells us how to be alive in Christ. That religion is ultimately about sin management. The gospel is about freedom in Christ. You see, around here, we call that beach ball theology. That being a Christian is way more than just sin management. And somehow, I have heard or heard it taught and implied to me that to be a good Christian means that you take hold of your sin and by your own might, you just hold it down. Well, there really is no such thing as a good Christian. You're either alive in Christ or you are dead to your sin. And if you think that what defines you as a Jesus follower is how you, by your own might and power, can control your own sin, it will lead to exhaustion and disappointment. So Paul is telling Timothy, you preach that gospel. You preach the word. In fact, Paul writes a letter to the church in Corinth. And the way he's wrapping up this letter to the church in Corinth, in chapter 15, he says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you were being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And here's what is of first importance. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You see, Paul says that what is of first importance is the gospel. And the gospel is not about the bad being better. But the gospel is about the spiritually dead being made alive in Christ. The gospel is not the intro into what it means to know God. The gospel is the Ph.D. and master class in what it means to live for him. The gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z. The gospel is about our salvation for sure. But not just how we can go to heaven one day when we die. It is about Christ in our place and us being imputed with his righteousness. You see, when we get saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ... There is a past, there is a present, and there is a future reality to the gospel work in our life. 
that we are justified. That means that we have been saved from the penalty of our sin. That we are being sanctified. That means by the power of the gospel, we are being saved from the power of sin in our life right now. And one day we will be saved from the very presence of sin when we are glorified with him forever and ever. And so with all of that in mind, the Apostle Paul is saying to young Timothy, so Timothy, you preach that. You preach the word and nothing else. Not human opinion, but God-breathed theos, neustos message of Jesus coming on a rescue mission for us. He says, preach that word and be ready in season and out of season. That means whether you feel like it or not, whether you wake up in the morning excited about your quiet time or you know how important it is in season or out of season and reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with complete patience and teaching. In other words, the gospel is practical to every aspect of your life. Listen, sometimes I've heard folks say, listen, I don't need all that theology. I just need some practical help. There is nothing more practical on the planet than the gospel. If you're struggling with money, you don't have a money issue. You've got a gospel issue. Because all money will do is reveal to us what is first and best in our life. And the gospel teaches us that he is first, that he went first, that he loves first. Therefore, we bring our first and best to him. If you've got a, a marriage issue, fundamentally, it's a gospel problem. Because it's not simply about communication. It's this. The Bible tells us, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and laid himself down for her. If we put Jesus in the middle of our marriages and act like it, I promise everything changes. If you've got relationship issues, that's not the problem. It often boils down to this. Are you forgiving like Christ has forgiven you? You see, the gospel changes everything in our life. And then Paul says this. Time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. By the way, that time has come. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Listen, if you read the word of God seriously, of course God's word will offend you. You see, it was written by the author of life. He knows how to live life better than you and I do. I mean, oftentimes we stand in judgment over the word of God. And who do we think we are? I mean, we can't even lick our own elbow or there are places on our back we can't scratch. And yet oftentimes we try to stand in authority over the word of God. May we never come to God's word with a highlighter and scissors to try to make it comply to us. See, in an ever-changing world, may we cling to the unchanging truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this book, this message, the word, has one message. It's all about the glory of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth with a word, but it wasn't enough. He wanted image bearers. So he formed together in the dust of the ground the very first human being and breathed the breath of life into that first human being. And then Adam opens his eyes and he is face to face with God, his heavenly father. And that's what every single one of us were created for. Then he said it's not good for man to be alone. So he creates Eve. And yet Adam and Eve reject God through rebellion and through religion and sin enters the world. And when sin enters the world, it fractures that face-to-face relationship with God because he is holy and just. And because he is holy, all sin must be paid for. And so God judges Adam and Eve. He kicks them out of the garden, but on their way out, he makes a covering for them. And for the first time in human history, 
The blood of an animal is shed for the covering of sin. And it is a picture of the coming Messiah. And he says to Eve, he says, I will put enmity between your offspring and this servant, this enemy. And one day this enemy will bruise his heel. But in that bruising, he's going to get his head crushed. And for all of the rest of the Old Testament, the Old Testament is promises made. And all the rest of the Old Testament, everyone is calling to, looking for the serpent crusher, the anointed one, the suffering servant. And upon the stripes on his back, we will be forgiven. Upon his shoulders are heaped the chastisement of us all. Minor prophets like Malachi will say things like, the son of righteousness is coming with healing in his wings and there will come one before him in the spirit of Elijah who will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and children to their fathers. And then there's a blank page in our Bible between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It represents 400 years of silence. And then seemingly from a human perspective out of nowhere, this man, this kind of crazy guy, John the baptizer, is standing in the Jordan with a very short message. Repent. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Then one day his cousin, Jesus of Nazareth, from a human perspective a nobody from nowhere, shows up and John the baptizer stops everything. He says, behold, there he is, the serpent crusher, the one that we have been looking for. Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the entire world. Not another Lamb of God that's here to cover the sin of one particular people until next year, but the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the entire world world. Jesus gets baptized. The heavens open up. God the Father speaks over him. Behold my son in whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus begins his earthly ministry. Jesus healed people and Jesus taught lessons. But he was not primarily a healer and a teacher. He came to be the Savior. He said make no mistake about it. I have come to die for your sins. He tells the disciples I'm going to be arrested, tried, flogged, crucified, dead, buried. But on the third day, I'm going to be resurrected from the grave. And sure enough, he was. He was arrested. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They beat him. They flogged him. They take him to the cross on Golgotha. They drop nails through his hands and his feet. And behold, the Lamb of God was slain for the forgiveness of our sin. And upon that cross, he pushes up on his nail-pierced feet, and he says these words, It is finished. What was finished? That the suffering servant has come, and upon his stripes we are healed. The law of God was fulfilled. The wrath of God was satisfied. That Jesus is the propitiation for our sin, the payment that fully and finally satisfies. But he says it is finished. He didn't say he was finished because he was not finished. He was dead. He was put in a grave. But on the third day, he was resurrected from that grave. And he put death to death. And who would ever believe in him, we would also be resurrected with him. He appeared to over 500 people for over 40 days. And then before he ascended to the right hand of God the Father, he said, Therefore, go and make disciples of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every ethos, every group of people. You teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it took a little while for the church to get going. But when the persecution came, the Christians scattered. And wherever people with the gospel in them went, the gospel went. Because if the gospel is in you, it will come out of you. And they began to share the gospel with every tribe, 
every tongue, every nation, and we are a part of that movement, that church. And then the Bible says, through a revelation given to the Apostle John, that John, in this revelation, he sees coming out of heaven a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, and a new earth, like a bride adorned for their groom. And God Almighty, through the blood of Jesus, calls unto himself people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And he says, for I am your God and you are my people. And I will wipe away every single tear and God will be with his people. Because Jesus is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And he says, it is finished. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in an ever-changing world, may we cling to the word. May we cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh my goodness, I thought we were covering four verses and he just read the whole Bible in 15 minutes. That was pretty good. I should have watched that video earlier. All right, what's he say here? According to Joby, what is the entire message of the scriptures about? The gospel. There you go, the gospel. What are the fundamental differences between religion and the gospel? Religion is human made, where the gospel is God made, God instructed. I agree with that. Joby opened by saying this session centers around the idea of gospel centrality. You may have heard it called gospel-centeredness. How familiar familiar are you with the term gospel centrality or gospel-centeredness? Even if you're unfamiliar with the term, what do you think it means? How would you define gospel centrality? Here's a good example. <clears throat> what's on my mind right now in Australia I'm teaching three sessions one of them is uh, we are citizens of heaven one of them is biblical manhood and one of them is I've only written the first two this third one is uh, who is our enemy and the the theme of the we are citizens of heaven focuses on gospel centrality if we believe that our citizenship is in heaven because of the gospel message, then our our whole life should look dramatically different than the rest of the world because of the gospel. If we're saved people, we shouldn't focus on um, all the things that we tend to focus on, such as life success and career and finances and all the anxieties that the world brings about. So that's my thought on gospel centrality, that the gospel should be the central focus of our life. It's telling me to read the verses again. Does anybody else want to read one through four? Y'all get tired of hearing my voice. And I wanted to say, I was thinking about you two haven't been here during, you all got here during the... video study. We don't always do a video study. I've been doing a video study because I'm taking a class and it takes a lot of my workload away having to prepare this. But I think I like these. Do you all do you all enjoy these? I like I like this answer. Okay. Sorry. Somebody read one through four for me, please. Uh, 
Yes. The Paul opens chapter 4 with a strong statement, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Paul is giving Timothy a responsibility. Timothy, as Paul makes clear in verse 1, is being charged before God with a specific task. As Joby said, Paul reminds Timothy who Timothy works for. How does the knowledge that God is present with you affect the way you perform your own responsibilities? What can you do to remind yourself that God is with you as you go about your day? How does the knowledge that God is present with you affect the way that you perform your responsibilities? And what can you do to remind yourself that God is with you as you go about your day? Because you're working for God, just as Paul said. Uh, or Yeah, he's, he reminded Timothy who he works for. Well, it's kind of like working and always having the boss right over your shoulder, right? <laughs> so you want to... <laughs> How much did it rain down here, do you know? Well, if you added another bug, it was almost an inch. <laughs> it rained hard here. Yeah, it did. I think for me, it's easy for me, as I think about what can you do to remind yourself that God is with you as you go about your day, it's easy for me, like, during in these settings, it's when I'm alone that I have to remind myself, like, okay, is what I'm looking at on my phone wholesome? Are the conversations that I'm having uh, just in passing with people, are, are those good conversations? Are those God-honoring conversations? Or are they just lazy conversations? Those are my times of... I need, I need to remind myself during those times. This stuff is... Uh, it's evident in these situations, but... It's the alone time that gets me. The charge that Paul gives to Timothy is an important one. Joby said that the eternities of men and women hang in the balance of God's message being shared and received. How often do you think about the significance of the gospel message we've received? Having received the gospel yourself, to what degree do you feel charged like Timothy to share the good news with others? It kind of 
religion, the Bible tells us how to live, and the gospel tells us how to love, and it's supposed to be the love we can for us that we share with others. My last of that says, do the work of an evangelist for the I often think about the significance of the gospel message. And having received the gospel myself, I do feel charged to share the good news with others. And then I go up that hill over there and fail every time I go. Every single time I go. I was having a, I was in the sauna today, guys, and I was sweating and I was suffering. And this guy was sitting next to me and we started talking immediately. And he I he was friendly as can be. He was about my age. And all I had to do was open my mouth and and talk about Jesus. And I just did it. Out of laziness and fear. Not so much fear, pretty much just indifference, honestly. Just, eh, I'm probably not going to see this guy again. Eh, just laziness. Just pure and simple laziness. And I don't remember where I said it the other day. Heather and I met this couple the other day, and we, did, we didn't fail in this sense because we did talk about Jesus, and this guy was... This guy was from Greece, and he was, he his eyes were like, we were talking, his eyes were like this. He was open to hear what we had to say, and I think that guy that I neglected today would have been open to hear what I had to say, and I just cowered. And that, what, I just want to slap myself. How would you have brought it up in the sauna? You know what I mean? Like, do you have... We were deep in the conversation immediately about, about uh, well, about, you know... The sauna. I'm like, man, it's hot in here, huh? And then he's like, yeah, I try to do this. Hot as hell. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But but we were we were deep in we were deep in we were deep. The sauna is a great evangelism place. <laughs> it is. But we were deep. We were already in conversation. I knew what he does for a living. He lived. Uh, he lives in. Uh, where did he say he lived? He lives over by Rowe High School. I told him that I lived in Bellevue. I could have said, I'm the pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church. Do you know Jesus? Do you know anything about Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? What do you think? I could have just said any of those things. I mean, and then he might have said, I don't want to talk about that. And he walked out. But that's not my problem. All I have to do is bring it up, you know. I think Joy has a good point, though. Since you spend a lot of time in the sauna, maybe you could just come up with a little sauna to gospel. Same way. Just wait till they say that. Yeah. Well, there's. I can talk to. I can talk to a squirrel in a tree, but for some reason, I choose to just be a wuss about it. You know, it's hard. Can you imagine spending an eternity? Turn me in a place hotter than this. <laughs> it's so hot in here, and there's not even flames. Yeah. <laughs> I think sometimes too, you kind of feel the Holy Spirit kind of prompting you to do it. Yeah. You know, where sometimes you don't. You know, maybe just not the time. But no, I kind of, you know, I understand. Say, like, I come home from work every day, feel like I fail because my work's very volatile environment. You know, and um, I pray every day, Lord, help me be a difference, but. It's just like there's so much profanity and so much like stuff every day. I can't stand it sometimes, but I can't. I feel like I'm not making that change there. Well, just like I just like I said Sunday, 
you know, we can we can mow everybody's grass and we can shingle everybody's roof and we can adopt all the kids and we can feed all the hungry. But if we never open our mouths and, and talk about Jesus and share the gospel, it's for nothing. So I've done the same thing. Like, as I think I almost said, well, I can, I'm sure people can see a difference in you and I'm sure they can. But if we... Think about it. Yeah, Bev doesn't want to hear Bev's all that nice talk. One gets, you know, Bev probably won't like it you say that louder. But um, but still, I'm not opening my mouth and say, hey, guys, no. <laughs> you know, I can't stand it. Stop it. Yeah. Because it's like every other word, but most of them. Yeah. You know, Christian or not Christian. Yeah. I mean, it's just the environment. Yeah, and really the... the the reality of it is all we have to do is open our mouth and say, you know, I just, I, I try to, I try to speak wholesome words because I've been saved by Jesus and he doesn't want me to talk this way. And people might be, you might not have very many friends, but somebody might come to faith because of what you say, you know, just like the, this guy in the sauna, I got to just quit talking about this sauna so much, <laughs> but, uh, he was just friendly. I know that he wouldn't, I mean, he wasn't going to be like runaway kind of guy. He would have been like, Oh, that's neat that you're doing that. But, and I would have, you know, shared the gospel with the guy. But now if it happens again, you've done thought that I made a mistake the last time. <laughs> he ain't going to get away this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not just this one instance. This is a daily failure probably for most of us you know it's not just I know it's and, and if we actually believe that people are doomed to hell for eternity we should probably be far more willing to open our mouth and quit being so it's not that hard just ask somebody where they go to church yeah this is kind of funny <clears throat> I had a procedure like two weeks ago it was a colonoscopy so they they wheel me back. I'm ready. I'm waiting on the doctor and anesthesiologist. Just an older man is sitting next to me, and this beautiful uh, Russian nurse. Somehow he said something. It wasn't anything about God, but I took it that way and opened up. Started talking about God and me being saved. And they, both of them were too. We were having a great conversation. And about three seconds later. I looked up and my sister was with me. <laughs> 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 I was at the cardiologist yesterday. I had the shirt on, said, Jesus is my final answer. Oh. He got tapped with this, and I believe that too. Yeah. So I know I got the right doctor. There's a lot of Christian folks around. Uh, but the overwhelming majority of people are totally lost. You know, I be, I believe that. I don't know what what what's your all's perception of that or perspective of that. I think there's a lot of you know, a larger number lost things. Yeah. I see a lot of Christians compromising. Like I know they go to church. I know they profess. I don't see them. You don't see fruit. No, they're just kind of going along with um, just going with the time, you know, and just getting these conversations and doing things that are not Christian. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just kind of going with the flow. Yeah, you know, I think that's a big point of religion versus whatever they said, relationship. They didn't use the word relationship, but 
Maybe they did, but going to church. He he said before, and I think I I stole it and used it in the sermon. Going to what's he say? Sticking your head in the oven doesn't make you a biscuit, just like going to church doesn't make you a Christian. That's that's his word. It's not mine. (laughs) (laughs) But it's true. Like just because people go to church doesn't necessarily mean that they're saved. And if we are saved, we have we have the responsibility to be the examples or be the ambassadors that point people to Jesus, even church people. Like, hey, what you know, what's going on at your church, or what what's 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 some things that uh, have been happening lately in your life that um, are filling your spirit? You know, just simple questions like that. And I'm beating myself up because I. I fail in this in the public a lot, and I don't like that. I'm very convicted about that. But I'm getting better, but it's just hard. There's a um, king that got out. Was six months ago. There's a king, king country song out now. That's um, why are we wasting time on someone's making more? Like this is all we got. You know, we only have a certain amount of time. That's it. So now's the time. Mm-hmm. I have a little thought about what you said that you don't feel like you're making did you say I don't feel like I'm making a difference but I really think your example that you're setting you're the one sticking out you know what I mean and that's what Tink said so when people look at you do they see that you're different and I think that they do you know just by censoring themselves around you somewhat I do think I need to like keep like you didn't speak. I feel like every day I should have spoke out more about certain things than I haven't, you know. And I think it's just that awkwardness and, you know, about the whole thing. It is awkward. Yeah. And we don't need to say, stop cussing, you sinful yeah. idiots, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you love to. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I got to tell something. Say it. <laughs> Um, was at Edinburgh pay party for my for little ones, and about ten years old, and uh, there was children from all around the area that I, you know, didn't know, and uh, I, I don't know if the parents knew all that were. They just came, <laughs> but anyway, uh, this little girl started using the Lord's name in vain. And just like it was just, just come right to her, and that's this one word where I got to know. So I said, uh, Do you know the Lord? And she just sort of looked at me, of course, you know, she didn't. And, but you know, it got me to thinking about what's going on in our world now. Uh, you know, with, with our children, with the children with our neighbor's children, with all, you know, if, if, if we don't tell them, who's going to tell them? Mm-hmm. You know, who's going to tell them about Jesus? And, you know, it just uh, really, I don't know, just mm-hmm. really shook me up. That I guess I, you know, lived, up, I lived here in Bellevue and, uh, all my life, and, and, you know, it felt like everybody knew Jesus, you know. No, they don't. And it's, you know, it's, Going and it's getting worse and worse. You know, people don't know Jesus. These old ones don't know Jesus. Yeah. And if we don't do it, who's going to do it? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and by God's design, it's 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 supposed to be it's it's supposed to be oriented in the family. The father is the spiritual leader of the family, and the father is the one that I was just reading about all this today as I was writing the biblical manhood piece. It's our responsibility, the father, to to raise up our to love our wives well and to raise our children. Uh, to know the Lord. That is the Father's responsibility. And you look around and how many families the Father is not even in the household. You know. So it starts at home and people neglect people neglect to even commit to their family. And I'm not saying that everybody that is in a split home is living uh, in a poor way. I just mean when 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 husbands and wives don't even commit to each other, then they, you know, you should commit to the Lord first before you even get married. You know, you're supposed to, you're supposed to be equally yoked, get married, and raise up your children uh, to know the Lord and 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 to fully commit to each other. And we are in our world that just that is such a slam happening. It doesn't happen very often. And that's sad. And that's why we see, that's one of many reasons we see people that are just confused about everything. Because, like you said, nobody, children aren't being raised biblically, you know, and it's easy to see that. Beginning in verse 2, Paul gives his charge. He tells Timothy to preach the word and pastor his people. What is to be the content of Timothy's preaching? Why is it the word that we should preach and teach instead of something else? Is the word the only thing that All scripture is God breathed, right? That was three, 2 Timothy 3.16. And that was the next question. Remembering our last session, what makes God's word trustworthy and authoritative? Because it's it's God uh, inspired. It's it's the wor- actual word of God. <coughs> Joby highlighted that the entire Bible is about Jesus, His gospel, and the glory of God. And he went on to contrast. He went on to contrast the gospel with common assumptions about religion, namely that religion is ultimately about sin management, about prov- about proving ourselves righteous before God. He likened this to trying to hold a beach ball under the water. Eventually, we tire out and the beach ball comes storming to the surface. Before coming to Christ, what did your religious efforts look like? What did it take for you to realize your efforts weren't enough? What and who did God use to awaken you to the goodness of His gospel? I'll tell you my story. I was raised Catholic. You all know this story, but before coming to Christ, my religious or my family's religious efforts were to just go to church. We never even talk about, nobody talked about Jesus. We went through all the sacraments and all these things and we did all the stuff, but there was no heart change. There was no real desire to know the Lord. From me, I can't speak for my people, but I can look. I can look at them now and understand like where's the desire? It doesn't seem it's not evident to me where that that the desire is to grow in knowledge of the Lord. And then somebody with the beautiful feet came along, like I've said many times, uh, and shared the gospel with me and it just 
clicked. And that's why I beat myself up when I know I can be the guy with the beautiful feet in the sauna and I don't open my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Heather does say I have pretty feet for a man. (laughs) That was a priceless look. So before coming to Christ, what did your religious efforts look like? Did any of you were any of you uh, saved in this church after having attended this church for a long time? Is that anybody's story? Like you, you went to church for twenty years or however long before birth. <laughs> She's nine years old, saved in this church. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I was nine. I was baptized in this church because our church down in East Bend didn't have a baptismal. <laughs> so I was 69 years ago. I was saved at Burlington Baptist Church and uh, was 10 years old. I was baptized there in 1986. I had all kinds of people, you know, with the beautiful feet. Uh, Grandparents, you know, very Christian examples. A lot of Sunday school teachers, you know, through till I was nine years old, mm-hmm. and so my grandfather was a member of this church in the, in the minutes of this the church when we did the Boston He was one of. Uh, no, here's my question. In verse 2, Paul exhorts Timothy to always be ready, as Joby said, whether you feel like it or not. Have you ever been caught unprepared to speak about God and His Word? How did that reaction go? Well, it didn't go well today at about 4 o'clock. He was talking to you right I know, yeah. That's what I said. This was my question. Yeah. The heat got to me, yeah. I told you after a minute, what was it? 15 or so? You for, you, your days? Days in Yeah. I had somebody... At work, you know, it was a person that worked in my company, but they called to talk about work stuff, and they just asked me about it. Well, they're working from home, but I'm working in an office with four other people, and of course, it's the only time of day that it's dead silent, so everybody's listening, and I'm like, just fumbling over, you know, whatever. I don't even know if it came out uh, allegedly or not. <laughs> it, it was not my best, my best day. <laughs> But, you know, you just, you fail and you're convicted and you try again. I was in a really good mood one day. This is probably like, uh, probably 18 months ago or so, maybe a little longer than that. I can't remember. But this guy, most of the time, you know, when your phone rings and it will say like Minneapolis, Minnesota. And you're like, nah, I don't know anybody from there. Well, one day I was like, I'm feeling pretty good. Hey, how you doing? And this guy starts asking me, he said, are you Tank Hayden? I said, Yeah. He said uh, he was selling some steel piling or some bridge stuff. And I said, well, you know what? I'm not working for that company anymore. And he's like, well, you're Hayden, right? I said, well, yes, I am. And he said, so you're not involved with Hayden Bridge? I said, well, I was. 
but I, but God called me. I just spoke boldly. I said, God's called me to do other things. And I just, I've been much more interested in following God's plan for my life than financial gain, you know, or whatever. I don't remember all the words I said, but it was, it was bold talk. And the guy just kind of sat there and listened to me ramble for a minute. I was probably, it it must've been in the morning. I was probably cracked out on coffee, I'd say. (laughs) (laughs) But, but I'd sit there and talk to this guy without him speaking for a good three or four or five minutes. And he, when I got done talking, he said, you don't know, I needed this bit of encouragement because I've been struggling and me and my wife hadn't been going to church the way that we should and we need to do this and we need to do that and this and this and this and I'm so glad that this call has happened or whatever and I said, I don't even know why I answered the phone. I normally, <laughs> that, I normally would never answer the phone when somebody like that calls, you know. So there are times, I mean, my life isn't a total failure <laughs> in, in evangelism, but... Uh, Sometimes it just goes better than others. Okay, where are we? I have a question. Yes. The in season and out of season. Sir, what's that? I think it just means always. Be ready always. What verse is it? Preach the word in season and out of season. Uh, or two. Mine says two. whether convenient or not. Yeah. Thus, the way we preach the gospel is by expounding the scriptures. Be ready in season and out of season, when it is convenient and when it is inconvenient. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Well, that's not related to in season, out of season. I think in season and out of season just means. Always be prepared. Whether you're on high on your coffee or not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or, or you're in the saw and your brain's <laughs> Whether I'm high on my coffee or not. <laughs> I'm often high on coffee, so that's good. You know, in Timothy, it's sort of odd. Paul was writing to Timothy, giving him all this instruction. But Timothy was with Christ for about three years as a disciple. Yeah. And here is Paul only met Christ once on the road. Mm-hmm. Right through him and telling what he should be looking out for. Yeah. But then when you stop and really look at what the letter is saying, it's how to handle people. Not the plan of salvation as much as it is how do you reach people? I'm trying to pick up a couple questions before we close. This is a big one, I think, for me. How can we cultivate compassion for people who have turned away from the truth or who or people or just lost people in general, not necessarily people that are you know, the passage says people are going to seek out teachers that that tell them what they want to hear. But compassion, like true, genuine compassion for the lost is a difficult thing, I think. Especially if we think about uh, people that are sinning in ways that we don't necessarily sin. That's a hard 
that's hard. It's hard to it's hard to uh, pull that that compassion out of you. Like, why are you doing this over here? That's a ridiculous thing to be doing. Why are you doing that? It's hard. Where do you find that compassion? Does anybody have any uh, insight on that one? What exactly was the situation again? Just when we all sin in different ways. And I just think it's the question is how can you cultivate compassion for people who have turned away from the truth? Meaning, how do you cultivate compassion for people that are acting ridiculous in your eyes, you know? Cultivate your own relationship with Christ so that way the closer you are to Christ, the more apt you are to come across in a Christ like manner instead of coming across in an earthly manner. Because mm-hmm. if you're not, if your relationship isn't strong, with Christ and you're in tune with him then you're going to come across as yourself and not come across as Christ-like God looks at people and the the good in them you know when he looked at Paul on the Damascus Road he just come from murdering Stephen in human by association at the very least but yet God saw something in Paul. So that would be, you know, even though things are going there's like, you know, uh, God sees potential for something. Mm-hmm. You know, a person and not their sin. That, you know, that they have, have they could be a, a caring Christian, but just accept. I think for me, I, I empathize with, I don't necessarily, I try not to freak out about all the stuff that you see on the news that is sinful because I know how sinful I am also. Or like I know what things that I struggle with, so it's easy. If I'm if I'm tr- if I'm honest with myself and don't put, try to pretend like I've got it all figured out or I'm perfect, then then suddenly other people's sin doesn't seem so ridiculous because I am not innocent myself. You know, just because people are doing things differently to me doesn't mean much. We all need the gospels for all of us. Uh, there was a time where I was as lost as as anybody else, and and now I'm not, and I'm grateful for that. Um, but I haven't forgotten how sinful I was then and how sinful I could still be today. So that's that I have compassion for people and that people are lost and confused. Well, he felt, and that's, I think that's one of the main reasons why he tells us, you know, don't worry about the speck in somebody else's life when you have a plane in your own. Yep. Let me read this thing that says last word. To be gospel-centered is to recognize God's story and His gospel as the truth upon which all of reality depends. And while the world today regularly declines to receive the gospel, it still compels us to preach the word with complete patience and teaching. So surround yourself not with teachers to suit your own passions, but with men and women who, like Paul, will spur you on, who will charge you to persist in sharing the message of God's good news in season and out of season with those that you encounter in the sauna and at Walmart and at work and all of these places. Anybody have any closing thoughts? 
The wonderful Mary Casper is going to be your leader for the next two weeks. And then this will be, this study will be over. She will conclude the Second Timothy study. And if anybody has any suggestions with where to go after Second Timothy, call me because I have zero plan. He might reveal it to you in Australia. He might. And it might be another video study. <laughs> I like these one because, yeah, I've got plenty of time to figure it out on it. Yes. I like these because it, it, it gives me a perspective uh, that doesn't just come from my brain. Or it's good, like when I was, when I was building the last study, the first Timothy study, I was reading a bunch of commentaries, and that was good too. Um, but I do better with listening than reading probably. So this just comes easier to me, but I know we don't want to do this all the time. So we'll figure it out. It'll all work out. I could go right into Titus, but it's kind of the same. But that's where we're at. Closing thoughts? Anybody? 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 Preach the word in season and out of season? Whether you want to or not? But do it with love and patience. Would someone like to pray us out of here? Not you, Dale. <laughs> Go ahead. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, this day of life, and we just thank you for our many blessings, and we just thank you for the privilege that we've had to be here tonight. And to study your word together, and we're just so thankful for Brother King as, as he leads us and teaches our class, our Bible study here, Father. And, uh, we just pray that you would be with him and Paula as uh, they're leaving uh, for their trip, and we just pray for uh, the, the things that will be going on when we're there, and, and we just pray for uh, those that are witnessing to Father and and pray that there's um, those that come to know you as their Lord and Savior. Father, we just thank you for all these little ones that are here tonight for a long time. And we just pray that you would just continue to, to bless them and be with uh, all those that are in there leading and working with them. And Father, just go with us through this week and bring us back here Sunday. Forgive us where we fail you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.